Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, OSU put a whooping on Baylor over the weekend. It was a winning into the regular season for OSU. Do you have a good weekend? Uh, I did. I had a great weekend. Yeah, Saturday was good. Football was good. Basketball was good. So uh, my weekend's kind of still going. I'm probably the only one who's watching this. But I actually, for some weird reason, got intrigued by the U.S. Women's Open this weekend. Oklahoma State had an amateur uh, that was doing some nice things the first couple days. And I kind of got hooked. And then it got weather delayed yesterday. So I'm recording this with the uh, U.S. Women's Amateur on. Not the U.S. Women's Amateur. The U.S. Women's Open on in front of me. Wow. Where are they playing at? Uh, they're playing in Houston down at Cypress Creek, oh. uh, and there's a few girls at the top. There's some good some good storylines. The the Oklahoma State amateur, I think she's a freshman at Oklahoma State, actually ended up falling back a, a little bit out of the pack, uh, but had a good first couple of days. So, and you know me, I'm just a super golf nut and huge time huge golf nerd. So I'll watch just about anything that's live golf. I was gonna say, if you're grinding on the U.S. Women's Open on a Monday, you're 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 all in on the golf. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a mega golf nerd. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, before we get to the OSU Baylor game in the, in the, in the first five, let's uh, hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And again, get your orders done. Christmas rapidly approaching about two weeks away. We're going to have Christmas and you do not want to be late. I guess it's about 10 days, 10, 11 days away from now. So you better get on it. Get your holiday shopping done. I have done most of my Christmas shopping, but uh, I will be getting on Christmas here today to get a few more things for some friends of mine. So we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. And without further ado, let's get to the first five, Colby. You know, we broke down OSU Baylor uh, during the week. Uh, I picked Baylor big. Uh, you picked you picked Baylor as well, right? Or did you pick OSU and yeah, nail I picked uh, I picked Baylor 17 to 16. That's right. Of course, as I'm sure you were fixing to say, that all changed drastically when we got the update an hour before the game that Baylor was without 47 members of its football program. Yeah, and of course, that's what we're going to have to, when we discuss this game, that that's the first thing you have to mention. I mean, 47 players, coaches, and staff members. I'm frankly surprised, Colby, they played this game. Look, like Texas and Kansas was canceled. That's a very similar game where there was no Big 12 title implications. That game got canceled. Obviously, the OUS Virginia game gets canceled because Oklahoma is going to play in the Big 12 championship game. Probably not worth the risk to hold that game. I'm not sure why they played this game. I mean, Baylor shuts down their facility on Thursday. They're without 47 people on game day. Aren't you a little surprised they played this game at all? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think we just have to kind of call a spade a spade. We talked about it last week. The most likely reason they played this game was the money. And, you know, that's kind of tough whenever you see a guy like Trace Ford go down and the game wasn't competitive. And, oh. I mean, it really wasn't even a game. But I I can't think of really another good reason why they would play it whenever Baylor was without 47 members of its program. I mean, that is, that is detrimental. That's decimating to your program to have 47 people gone. And, I, you know, once I got that update, I was like, oh, God, well, our predictions are straight out the window. <laughs> yeah. we, we knew they were dealing with COVID, but, I mean, I was like, you know, maybe maybe a couple of guys are missing. Maybe they don't have a uh, – Yeah, like five guys line. maybe. Yeah, I'm like, maybe they don't have a linebacker's coach, something like <laughs> that. I, I, in no world, envisioned 47 people being gone from the program. Yeah, I mean, they were 
They had three offensive coaches available with a first-year position coach on the field calling plays on offense. And I think you saw I think you saw the results. Obviously, OSU defense played well. But so obviously everything we're gonna discuss in this game that has to be set up front. I mean, this is the same Baylor team that held Oklahoma less than 300 yards OSU for the game, and OSU put up over 300 in the first half. So this clearly was not the Baylor that you and I broke down during the week, but all of that being said, there was so much positive to talk about with OSU's performance. I think first and foremost, you got to talk about Dylan Stoner, Colby. I mean, obviously, Tylen Wallace was out. Dylan Stoner took over the Z uh, position at the receiver, which is their main, obviously, their go-to receiver position in the offense, and had the third best receiving day in the history of Oklahoma State. <laughs> I mean, that really says it all. Uh, just behind Darius Bowman against Kansas, and James Washington against Pittsburgh. He's right there, number three all time. He had 282 yards coming into this game. He put up 247. And I think when you talk about Stoner, Colby, it's always frustrating for me. It's, you know, he's a white wide receiver and everyone just wants to make him out to be a Wes Welker type or maybe even a Josh Cooper type out of the slot, a possession receiver. And that's not what Dylan Stoner is. I mean, he has legit track speed. He won the 400 meters as a junior in high school at Jinx. He has legit track speed. He has legit athleticism to high point the football, as you saw as he mossed a dude. And I think it just it's kind of frustrating, too, because he was so underutilized this season. I mean, to only have 282 yards with that skill set we saw against Baylor. I mean, it's it's frustrating, but it was really good to see Stoner have that type of day on what could be his last game at OSU. Yeah, Carson, I mean, if, if a national guy would have turned the TV on on Saturday, he probably would have been wondering why Tylen Wallace switched numbers for Oklahoma State's final game of the season, because <laughs> what we saw from Stoner is about what we saw from Tylen Wallace his entire career. And it, it was so much fun to watch Dylan Stoner do that, mossing the guy in the end zone, outrunning the defense. It really was fun. And it, and it was great for Stoner to see that because he's been too good at Oklahoma State not to have a game like that before he potentially leaves the program. But as much fun as it was, it was also frustrating knowing that they couldn't get him involved in the offense throughout the season until Tylen was out. And, and I understand whenever Tylen's out there, everybody kind of takes a back seat. But Stoner, I, I mean, we've known his entire time at Oklahoma State. The dude's obviously very talented. So it's frustrating they couldn't get him more involved throughout the season. Uh, but it was still a blast watching him do what he did on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think it it speaks to, I think, what, what I've talked about in – how kind of limited or predictable their offense is. It, it really took him being in Tywin's exact position to get, and obviously with no Tywin, he's going to get more targets anyway. I understand that. But just in terms of the way the offense operates, it's almost as if it's the Z receiver position or it's 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 the running game or maybe a little bit of the tight ends and that's it. I mean, the, the other receiver positions really go, really go on, really get, leave you wanting more. And so... But yeah, I'm with you. It was an unbelievable performance. And I think in terms of the offense, it was like night and day, Colby. Like this is this is what I've been asking for for um, over a month or two now in that they weren't running the 12 personnel with the, the double tight end so much. It was way more 10 personnel with four wide receivers. They spread the field. And as I said on the last podcast, like that helps Spencer Sanders. Like it's so much, it's way less congested in the middle of the field. It's way more spread out, which he ran in high school, way more easy for him to diagnose the coverages and, and go through his progressions. And 
you saw the results. Obviously, again, this is Baylor totally depleted, but how, how comfortable did Spencer Sanders look? I mean, it was night and day. I don't know, understand why they didn't run this game plan against Oklahoma and in other games this year. Yeah, it really is a little bit baffling. And I saw you tweeting about the personnel groupings on Saturday and, and kind of just to go a little bit deeper into it for those who aren't real familiar with personnel chat about football, the 12 personnel, like we're talking about, the, the stuff that we want to do less of at Oklahoma State, you and I, is, you know, two cowboy backs on the field at, at once. So now you've got two cowboy backs, a running back, and then you've only got two receivers out in routes a lot of the times and everything just, just gets really congested at that point and, and it, you, you kind of end up playing in a phone booth whereas the 10 personnel that's four receivers and a running back that is spreading the defense out making them cover sideline to sideline and we saw Oklahoma State do that a couple times this year we saw it against Texas more yes. so and, and what did Oklahoma State do they just went up and down the field on Texas now they kept turning the ball over which is why they lost that game but it wasn't for lack of being able to move the football then we saw them go back to the 12 personnel and what happened the offense totally stalled. It was a complete disaster. And then against Baylor, they go back to 10 personnel. And what do they do? Now, look, Baylor was very depleted, but they moved the ball up and down the field. There was rhythm. It was quick. It looked like they were operating in space. I just, I, I don't know. I, I can't make sense of it, Carson. It's, I, I would love to know what our listener th listeners think about what they're watching with this offense. And, and feel free to tweet us because what I'm watching just makes it look really obvious that there's one system that allows you to move the ball and have success offensively, and there's one that doesn't. And for whatever reason, it's like a 50-50 split as to what they decide to use, and I I can't figure it out. It must be one of those game flow decisions. Exactly. And they've really started to trend toward this for years now. I mean, what we saw against Baylor, to me, looked way more like you know the Mason Rudolph-era offense. Now, I think the concern and why they've gone to more of this, I think, is how shaky the offensive line's been. I think the theory is you get your cowboy backs in there. Johnny Woods is a really good blocker. I think they do that for protection issues. But I think even in the Oklahoma game, I thought they they pass blocked fine. Like they, it wasn't like Sanders was getting or Illingworth were getting hit a ton. I mean, they got some pressures, but I just think it was a a case of again coaching a little bit scared a little bit concerned about your protections instead of just doing what you do and again OSU is built on spread air raid offense and the reason for that and the reason they've had so much success the spread we all know negates talent gaps it's been the great equalizer in all of college football it has, it has led to so much more parity because when you play in a phone booth like OSU has for some reason attempted to that's when you really get exposed up front and that's what happened against, against Oklahoma and so, again, I think my main takeaway of this season is that OSU has gone away from their identity offensively. And I think they found a little bit of what has worked the entire tenure of Mike Gundy by going to more spread, getting Landon Wolf on the field more. Tay Martin got some catches as well. And I just it just all seemed to flow so much better. And I think that's hopefully they take away what they saw in this game from film and say, yes, like we don't have to have two Cowboy backs on the field at all times, especially when we don't throw it to them. So they're, they're just no threat at all to where defenses can really tee off on you. So again, I, I don't know why they've gone away from the air raid spread offense, but hopefully this is a learning experience for the staff because it was night and day and, and Sanders played really well. And again, <laughs> even in a game where he throws for 347, Colby, he has two picks. It's just, it's, it's just something he cannot get away from, but overall, Sanders played outstanding. The offense was humming. And I just, I hope we see more of that moving forward next year.
Yeah, the picks are a little maddening, and obviously they didn't hurt you on Saturday because Baylor couldn't move the ball. They were just totally outmatched, uh, yeah. really on both sides, but especially uh, when Baylor was on offense. But, you know, just going back to the personnel groupings, I mentioned that Texas game earlier this season. I believe that the game against Baylor on Saturday was Spencer Sanders' 19th career start. In those 19 career starts, he has thrown for 300 yards. Keep in mind, this is Oklahoma State, where all Oklahoma State does is throw the ball up and down the field. He's thrown for 300 yards now twice in his career. Wow. Against Texas, he threw for 400. And then against Baylor on Saturday, he threw for 347. And what's the common denominator? They, ha they had the field spread out. I mean, you have to make teams defend sideline to sideline. If you make a team defend hash mark to hash mark, I can make an op uh, – I mean, I can make a case that even – if uh, you've got more blockers in to help your offensive line, if you've got the defense that congested, I feel like you're really not doing them that much of a favor anyway because now instead of them having to defend whatever a football field is wide, 54 yards, they're having to defend half that from hash mark to hash mark. So I don't think it's a coincidence that the two games they really decided to spread it out are the two games of Spencer Sanders' career that he's thrown for 300 yards. Absolutely. And, and you and I keep referencing that his first career start against Oregon State. Isn't that isn't what we saw against Baylor, the offense they basically ran against Oregon State spread yes. out, throwing it all over the field. And how about this, Colby? You I would have to go back and chart it. And I'm obviously not going to do that. <laughs> but off the top of my head, I think Mason Rudolph has run more RPOs than Spencer Sanders. Think about that. You know, Rudolph, he ran for some touchdowns, but make no mistake, he, he was not J.W. Walsh back there. He was not Spencer Sanders back there. They don't run hardly any RPO this season with Sanders. They should run that on every single play. Pass play, run play, it needs to be at least the RPO. And they, they did a lot more of it against Baylor, but I think that's another aspect. Which, and again, Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy have forgotten more football than I'll ever know. I understand that. But as a layman watching this football, I just I cannot believe they don't run more RPO because obviously that's Spencer's strength with his legs. And it's just again, I just I just I think it just speaks to and again, I know we're being we're being negative on a game in which they completely blew Baylor's doors off. It's just kind of frustrating when you watch the way the season played out offensively to see just they left so much on the table offensively by not running RPO, by not spreading it out. And again, I just I hope they they realize and have kind of a come to Jesus meeting this offseason and realize, you know, maybe maybe having spring and all that, which they didn't have will help. But again, I just I thought the Baylor game really exposed how much they left on the table, really offensively. Yeah. And to be truthful, I don't think that we're necessarily being negative about the Baylor game. I think we're being more negative about the season. I texted you this on Saturday and some people may think this is a little harsh and, you know, it is what it is. I texted you on Saturday and I said, you know, Baylor's without 47 people. This is a cheap, free win to close out a disappointing season. <laughs> That's kind of what I felt like it was. Y you know, I yes, they beat Baylor 42 to three. Are we supposed to jump for joy that you know that that this team uh, basically took nine or ten win talent and turned it into a seven and three season? I I can't jump for joy for that. And I think that um, today is kind of the time to talk about you know, what went wrong along the way, because we saw some right along the way. We did. We saw some good things, and then we saw some bad things. And I just think dissecting it all, we've come to the realization that Spencer Sanders is better playing in a spread offense. And like you said, I don't fully understand why the RPO isn't a part of the offense. We see it at every level of football now. 
the NFL. I mean, who runs more RPO stuff than the Chiefs? Nobody. Who has a better offense than the Chiefs? Nobody. OU runs a ton of it in college football, and they're the best offense year in, year out in college football. It's There's a reason it works. It's hard to defend. It's really hard to defend. And I felt like at times this year, Oklahoma State just made it too easy on opposing defenses to know what was coming. Uh, And I think that that led to some of the problems we saw, especially in the OU and TCU games. Absolutely. And if you're Mike Gundy, just just study the Chiefs tape. Just I don't know. I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to say Sanders is Pat Mahomes, but just run some similar concepts with the, the RPOs you mentioned. The, the Jets they run so much motion, and that's another thing OSU doesn't hardly do is run. They they hardly run any motion. You should run motion on every play. That helps the quarterback dissect the coverage as well. And again, I just running 12 personnel, handing it off tackle is not OSU football. It's just not like they're, that's how the offense is going to get shut down and get limited the way it was. But another big positive in this game besides Dylan Stoner was, was Dominic Richardson. Obviously the the freshman from Bishop McGinnis, he had that, that tough fumble giveaway against uh, Texas tech. And you wondered if he was going to get very many opportunities, but I guess Desmond Jackson was a little banged up in this game and man, Richardson ran hard. He, He trucked a dude for a touchdown he ends up with 23 carries, 169 yards, and three touchdowns, averaging uh, 7.3 yards per carry. So this is another positive for me moving into next year, uh, Colby. We were concerned, obviously, with, with L.D. Brown maybe leaving. Obviously, Chuba Hubbard has announced he's gone. We'll talk about him in a second. But I think with Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson, I don't. I think that that's going to give you plenty of pop in the running game moving ahead to next year. I was thoroughly impressed with, with the freshman from Bishop McGinnis. Yeah, I'll say this. I feel a lot better about Oklahoma State's running game uh, than I would have probably three weeks ago in terms of moving forward into the future. It's, you know, an LD can come back. He's got another year of eligibility, so he can come back if he wants to. Uh, But then Dominic Richardson and Desmond Jackson, yeah, this running game, I think, actually looks pretty good. Um, And I've been really, you know, kind of down about the future because you're losing Tylen, you're losing Chuba, you're losing some guys on defense. And I think it'll still be really challenging to replace a lot of those guys. Um, but, you know, here's what I see from Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, whenever the projections are great and it seems like all the talent's coming together and everything's going to go right, then we have a season like this where, where they end up winning seven games whenever we feel like they should have won nine or ten. And the next year, I, I feel like, you know, I could come out and predict them to win five games and then they'll end up going seven and five or eight and four and over, you know, a- exceeding expectations. It just feels like that's the way it's gone at Oklahoma State for a little while. And um, if Oklahoma State does have some success next year, I think it'll be on the ground because I do think if Stoner decides not to come back, you will have, uh, you you know, it's crazy to say because you're losing Chuba, but you'll have more and bigger shoes to fill in the receiving game, I think, than you will in the running game because we know a little bit about what's coming behind you at at running back. Yeah, and I I think that goes back to the spread deal. Like you don't need first-team All-Americans in a spread offense when you spread it out get him in open space that's how like just look back at those players mike leach was putting up numbers with he had some non-nfl players putting up you know six seven hundred yards of offense per game and so i i think that would definitely help next year uh, i did think it was interesting you, you mentioned stoner and i i forgot to ask you about this you know he said in his post-game press conference it was it was basically you know i'm paraphrasing here he said it was great to have that type of performance in my last game 
which he obviously oh, did he say that I missed that okay he my said bad. he said my last game which you know I was fully expecting him just to come back again I, I even tweeted you know the year is 2024 and Dylan Stoner's still catching touchdown passes from Gunnar Gundy just feels like Stoner's going to be there for another 10 years like he already has been but I did think it was interesting you know I think this is going to be an interesting case in, in Stoner's and really just college football players in general that that have the option to come back and maybe they've played four or five years and just want to go either test the NFL waters or, or go do something else. Because I think, I think Stoner, obviously he can come back, but it, it sure sounded like he was calling it a wrap. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. I just Googled Dylan Stoner's age to see how old he was. He'll be 23 years old on February 6th. So February 6th, 1998 is when he was born. And you know, if he does want to test the NFL waters and I think that he should, I think that he has a skill set that he could potentially make his way onto a roster um, and, and, find his way, um, you know, into a productive NFL receiver, you know, like we see from Tyron Johnson had a big game yesterday, set up the game winning field goal on a 35 yard catch uh, right before, right before time expired. Uh, so I think that Dylan Stoner should test the NFL waters could potentially make an NFL roster. And I mean, at some point you're going to be 23. So if he were to come back for another year, then he'd be 24 before he entered the draft. And the, the older you are, when you go in, the more hits you have on your body, the less those guys uh, in the NFL are, are kind of willing to take a risk on you being around for a long time. So if he decides that he wants to go test the waters, I don't blame him and I wish him the best of the best of luck. I, I, I hope I'm not being a homer and saying this, but I, I do think that he has the potential to succeed at the next level. I do too. I mean, again, I think he's going to test well at the combine. I mentioned his speed. He has track speed. I think he'll run a good time. I think he has good athleticism where he'll test well in all the other drills. And I, and I think his vertical leap will probably surprise some people as well. And I think he has plenty of tape out there. I mean, he's, he always had a really productive uh, career at Oklahoma State. And I think he he could play. Like Again, I don't think he's your prototypical, quote unquote, white slot receiver. I think that's kind of just putting him in a, in a box. But I think he could he could certainly play out of the slot at the NFL level with his speed and, and his catching ability. I mean, he's got really good hands as well. So I think he almost would be kind of overqualified for some of those slot positions, like, you know, like the, the Beasley's of the world or the other, you know, slot receivers you think of the Danny Amendola's of the world. I think, of course, now I'm putting him in a box by comparing him to those guys, but I think he can test well. And I, I certainly think he, I think he could drafted and you mentioned Tyron Johnson. He was not drafted. He, he made a practice squad and now he's producing you know, for the chargers. So I wouldn't begrudge him at all. And I am with you. I think if I was him, I'd probably just be ready to move on. I mean, it's, it's a long time to spend in college. I think you and I, when we were in college, my last year, I was ready to get out of there and I, I wasn't putting my body through what he's put it through playing, playing college football. So we'll have to wait and see what, what stoner ends up doing. But one more thing on Richardson, you know, it's such a wild path he took to get to Oklahoma State. He was committed to TCU for a long time. Gary Gary Patterson at the 11th hour, he pulls his scholarship for that five-star, uh, I think Zach Evans is his name, and Richardson winds up in his in-state school at Oklahoma State. And he, he's a really good, one of the better high school players I've covered. I've covered Oklahoma State high school football for 12 years now. And I would put Richardson right up there with some of the best players I've seen come out of the state. I put him up there with Sterling Shepard who I thought was just out of this world good in high school. And I think Gary Patterson doing pulling his scholarship at the 11th hour is going to pay dividends for Oklahoma State because he's a really good football player. And he already has shown it in his first real opportunity to get a legit 20 carries in a game. He had 23 against Baylor. 
And I, I just think it, it took a winding road. I'm sure he was thoroughly disappointed with how that, that all played out for him. But I think he's going to have a good career at Oklahoma State because he, he showed me a lot in his first opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And I think we talked about it a little bit um, whenever it went down, everything at TCU. But that's really kind of a shady way to do things for Gary Patterson. And I get it. You get the five-star kid to come in. But it, it may end up working out for everybody. If Dominic Richardson turns into a star at Oklahoma State, and it certainly looks like he has the potential to do so. And I certainly don't wish any, you know, any ill will against Zach Evans at TCU. I, I don't think it's his fault that uh, TCU pulled Dominic Richardson's scholarship for his. Is It was just a weird situation. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope that he has – a big-time career at Oklahoma State. And what I hope is that sometime in his future at Oklahoma State, we see him go out and have a big game against TCU because that would be phenomenal to watch him go out and dominate the Horn Frogs and then walk across and shake hands and say, uh, hey, coach, how did I look today? And then uh, head to the locker room. I, I would very much look forward to that happening at some point during his career. I think he has every right when he scores his first touchdown against TCU to – spike the ball in the end zone or even go full Terrell Owens and run the football out to midfield and, and kind of slam it down the field and look over at, at Gary Patterson. That, he won't do that because he's probably classier than I will, but I would be doing that. I would totally want to stick it to Gary Patterson for the way that played out. Uh, two more things I want to hit on Colby. Obviously you mentioned Trace Ford. I mean, just absolutely sickening uh, to see him go down. It looked, I, I didn't really get a clear angle on it. I, it was clear to me that OSU was upset with how the offensive lineman kind of either dove at his leg or fell on him. And Mike Gundy appeared to be staring down the TCU sideline. And it, I'm not a great mouth reader, but it, it looked to me like he was saying he tore his ACL and was like kind of blaming the, the Baylor sideline. And God, you, you hate to see him go out on the last game of the year like that. It, it really does look like an ACL type injury. Brock Martin tweeted after the game, that Trace Four would have had three sacks today. Get ready for the comeback story. Um, so that that tells you, I think he's he's pretty badly hurt. And uh, God just hated to see Trace Ford go down because he's had such a great season and and really was shaping up to have a you know monster season next year. Now he's got to go through a full rehab. It seems like. Yeah, and everybody says that he's just the absolute best dude to be around, and and that he's just awesome. And I mean, I knew whenever he went down, you could see by his reaction. You know, tears in his eyes, clearly in pain. The the team huddled around him. That was a very emotional moment, I think, for the team. I think for fans, you know, for, for me, it was, um, you know, it, it made me sick to my stomach watching him, um, you, you know, lay there in pain because I knew it was serious. And I knew, I, I don't want this to come out the right way, but I, I knew just how little the game meant. And, and I knew what Baylor was without. And I knew the reason they were probably pay, playing the game was for, for the, the television contracts and for the money and everything. And I just, man, I so hated to see it. And even talking about it now, it's just, I almost feel like I'm getting going to get a little bit emotional now because he, he just seems like such an awesome kid. And this is, this can be life altering. This can be career altering. And I hope, 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 you know, fingers crossed everything that that is not the case and that we see Trace Ford come back, uh, you know, bigger, faster, stronger than he was. Some guys do. We, we've seen some guys come back from serious injuries and, you know, just be absolute freaks and, and get back after it. And we've seen some some guys who come back but just aren't quite the same. Uh, and I certainly hope it's it's the first one because he's obviously very talented and from all accounts is just a great kid. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's sickening. And, it, you know, tearing your ACL alters a career. I mean, obviously, I think it's it's become a deal now where guys can come back much quicker than they used to. I think uh, Jaden Hazelwood from OU was only out about six months. So, you know, it's nine months away till September. Uh, he's probably going to have to rehab that entire time, and hopefully he'll be back you know, at some point next year. And just the thing I fear is just once you do it once, you know, it's it, it becomes susceptible again. I mean, I, I was concerned with when Tylen Wallace went down too. So I, he can come back strong. He, he's young, and guys come back from this injury much quicker now than they used to. But just, God, you hate seeing that at the, the last game of the year in a, in a game that, as you said, was not playing for, for a ton of stuff. So hopefully Trace Ford yeah, and, can and get Just back real on quick, Tylen is one. I, I should have even mentioned Tylen. You know, last year – Obviously, I was very scared for Tylen because could have cost him a lot of money and could have been life-altering and career-altering. And he came back strong from it and, and was great this season uh, and looks poised to head off to the NFL. So I hope Trace Ford um, holds the same fate, comes back strong, and is able to go have a professional career as a pass rusher. Yep. Defense played well. Obviously, Trace Ford was, was a madman before he got hurt. Uh, one more thing before we move on from the game, Colby. Second half, Oklahoma State's up 28 to nothing. I think Mike Gundy got on the headset and said, hey, guys, we're up 28 nothing. Let's take Carson Cunningham to the woodshed. He's been asking for <laughs> it. The woodshed package. The Jelani Dozer. They finally did it. It wasn't exactly, you know, what I've been asking for. You know, Jelani had a shotgun with like two cowboy backs in front of him and really taking him to the woodshed. It was kind of a tricky woodshed in that they ran Jelani in motion and then just kind of quick snapped it to him under center and he quarterback sneaked it. Damn near score. He gained like four yards on, on a quarterback sneak. That's how epic that can be. And I think I think Gundy's either trolling me, he listens to the podcast, or he just came to his senses in the last game because it was a, a wrinkle I've been asking for for a month now, and uh, we saw it when they were up 28 nothing in, uh, in Waco. Yeah, I, I don't know how this came about. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't listen to the podcast. If he does, hey, Coach, what's up? Shout out. Um, man, I, I would have loved to have seen this earlier in the year. I would have loved to have seen this in the Texas game, in the TCU game, in the OU game. I mean, better late than never just for some fun. But that's another guy that I really wonder – what he's going to do. You know, all these guys have decisions to make because of COVID, they can come back if they want to. Jelani's 22. I saw his dad tweet out the picture the other day of him in his, his graduation, uh, you know, cap and gown and everything. He won't be 23 until October of next year. He could come back if he does. I hope they do more of this. It, it was fun. It was awesome. Um, I, I don't know. I, that's one of the most fascinating things to me about the offseason is usually you kind of know going into the offseason, who's leaving, who's coming back. This offseason, I kind of feel like I have no idea just because of COVID and the extra year of eligibility that's going to be extended. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on too. Yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be a wild year with, with the COVID rules and everything else. And, you know, Adam Lunt, who I've mentioned, he does the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, really good uh, pod for you OSU fans. You should check it out. He, he has always said that Jelani should go to move to offensive tackle which I think is actually kind of intriguing because he's almost a better blocker than receiver. A 6'7", 275, put on, put on a little bit of weight. With his mobility, his footwork, you would think he could, be a, he could be a legit offensive tackle as well. I don't know if that's something he would be interested in, but that's how you get paid big time 
is be a be a left tackle. That those are some of the highest paid players in the NFL. And let's face it, I don't know if Jelani, you know, I think he was underutilized at Oklahoma State. Certainly, I've been saying that for a long time. I don't know if he's as dynamic as a pass catcher at the NFL level as he would be at the college level. So that that's some, certainly intriguing as well. But if he does make that decision, Colby, I think it would it would behoove him to come back and and move to that position, a la. Charlie uh, Johnson, you know, Charlie Johnson was a big blocking type tight end at Oklahoma State, ends up moving to tackle and ends up having a a 10 year career in the NFL and won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. So maybe that's something he could do, too. Maybe that would lead him to come back if he wanted to do that. I think that'd be actually a pretty smart move on his on his behalf because he's such a good blocker and he's so big that I do wonder how dynamic he could be in the passing game in the NFL. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So while you were talking, I Googled average NFL left tackle weight. And uh, it says here the 50th percentile. So average height and weight of an offensive tackle, according to data from the Scouting Academy, uh, is six foot five, 314 pounds. That was as of 2018, but I'm sure it hasn't changed much. So 6'7", 276 is what he's listed at. He'd need to put on, uh, what is that, 40 pounds? I mean, that's <laughs> a lot of weight to put on, but if you really commit to it with his athleticism, like you said, that's how you extend your career and that's how you make that money money. I mean, tackles make about as much money uh, as any position except quarterback in the game of football. So that is really intriguing. I, I hadn't heard that. I, I do listen to Adam's podcast and he does a great job, but I missed that. Um, yeah, that's certainly a, a, a thought that I hadn't even really thought about uh, just because he's always been a tight end, came in as a quarterback, and then he's just been a tight end. So I didn't even think about him switching positions. But I think him at tackle would be, uh, if nothing else, a fun experiment. And if it works, it could really work. Well, and here's a good, here's a great comparison. And I'm not saying he's going to be as good as this guy. But Tyron Smith, you know, the, oh. the, the great tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, coming out of USC as a junior, he was 6'5", 280 pounds. Jelani Woods is 6'7", 276. Very, very similar in terms of just the measurables. I'm not saying, he, again, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-pro tackle like Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith's been the best tackle in the NFL. But I don't think it would be that hard for him to put on weight like Tyron Smith did. So that's, a, that's something that we'll have to watch and, and see. Obviously, Jelani and other players have a lot of thinking to do about the NFL and whether they're coming back and all of that. So it was good to see. OSU get out with a win. Uh, there was some interesting coaching news that came out, Colby. Auburn gets rid of Gus Malzahn. He gets like $24 million buyout to just go away, which again, how these schools, has, has the buyout ever helped a school, Colby? Or are they just, it just feels like every school just gives away 10 to $20 million for buyouts and it never really quite helps them. You know, I know other schools have to pay the buyout if they hire your coach, but I just, I feel like we only hear about the co- the schools paying out this ridiculous sum of money for their coach not to coach. It doesn't seem like those buyouts ever really helped them, but Auburn's without a coach and Pete Thamel speculated and wrote that Mike Gundy would be on the list of coaches that would be on uh, Auburn's short list. Now, I, I think Hugh Freeze is probably the leading candidate there for Auburn, which is just a perfect Auburn coach, you know, someone who will bend every rule to try to beat Alabama. But I did think it was interesting. Mike Gundy's name once again, coming up in the uh, coaching carousel. Yeah, Gundy's name always comes up, and it, it kind of feels at this point like it's a little bit of a throw-in. Like, oh, let, let's throw Mike Gundy's name in. You know, yeah, I need an, I need another name. Let's throw the Gundy guy in there again. Right. Yeah, it's like I've, I've got – how many characters do I have left? I've got 14 characters left. <laughs> yeah, we can fit Mike Gundy in the tweet. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. I don't think Mike Gundy uh, is certainly going to coach at another school. I could be wrong. You, you know, I think in years past, maybe he would have. I, I've talked about, and we played the audio clip uh, maybe last week, maybe the week before. No, I think it was last Monday we played it uh, about Gundy talking about, uh, you know, this does get hard, but I'm not good enough at farming to to really go be a farmer. So I'll keep coaching till they till they can me. I I don't know. He just doesn't seem hungry enough to me at this point to really want to pick up, move across the country, start somewhere else, try try to have success at another program like what he's had at Oklahoma State. That just does not seem like something that's going to happen to me. I think he's at Oklahoma State uh, until he either retires or is asked to retire. And then I think he will retire. I think the chances we ever see him coach anywhere else are pretty low. But again, I don't know the guy. It's not like we're uh, texting back and forth after the Pete Thamel tweet came out last night. So who knows? I could always be wrong. It's just, yeah, I'm with you. I think Gundy's going to retire before he leaves Oklahoma State and coaches somewhere else. It's just, it's funny to think about like the idea of Mike Gundy coaching. Now, I've always compared Auburn to OSU. Obviously, they've been historically a better football program, but they're very similar just in terms of the, you know, they're, they're both kind of rural colleges. Obviously, you have the, the bear behemoth that is Alabama and Oklahoma in your state. Uh, that, that rivalry is certainly, there's some parallels there. But just the idea of Mike Gundy in the shark-infested recruiting waters of the SEC, that just does not seem like his cup of tea. And I just, I had this funny image in my head of, of Gundy punting on like Alabama's like 25 when he's playing against Nick Saban. <laughs> Like Gundy coaching against Nick Saban would be, would be interesting. Uh, but uh, I did think it was, you know, I tweeted this too and it's not happening, but it would be a fascinating, you know, coaching swap. If, if Auburn and, and Oklahoma state just swapped coaches, Gus Malzahn to Oklahoma state, Mike Gundy to Auburn. And I have no idea if this is true at all, but uh, David, uh, this guy named David is at D K-N-E-C-T-H-77 tweeted that Malzahn has a near Stillwater connection. He's related to Ed Malzahn, who founded Ditch Witch in Perry. I have no idea if that's true. I have no clue, but it's fun to, to just bring up on the podcast. True. I hope uh, that that's true, and we get like a picture or some sort of rumor about Gus Malzahn hanging out at Ditch Witch in Perry. And we connected <laughs> to the Oklahoma State head coaching search. He's out there hanging out at Ditch Witch with his Carhartt jacket on. Uh, that would be hilarious. But I do think it's interesting that this is the type of coach I think Oklahoma State could get should they had had they fired Mike Gundy or if Mike Gundy had chosen to take another job. Like I think Gus Malzahn would come to Oklahoma State. I think he would do a really good job. He's a good coach. Obviously, Auburn just will never be satisfied with not winning the national title every year. They, they got rid of Gene Chizik after he won a national title, which his tenure was probably done, but they got rid of, uh, I think Terry Bowden went undefeated and they fired him. Of course, there was some scandal there too. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, they, they ran out of town who had done a good job there. They just don't seem to be happy. But I think when people think that Oklahoma State can't get a good coach, like, they could get a Gus Malzahn. Obviously, Malzahn's going to have $24 million in the bank for, not, for doing nothing. So I think he would come too. So I, I just think it's interesting to think of names like that when people bring up like, well, who's OSU going to get? Well, I mean, I think they could get Gus Malzahn. I think he'd do a good job. I think that that was just kind of an intriguing uh, thing to think about. Yeah, just random Gene Th Chizik thought. I don't think he was actually a good coach. I think he just happened to be the guy on the sideline while Cam Newton was there. Um, as and they pay, as, and he dropped the bag for Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, which was smart. 
got a national title out of it and Heisman. So um, I, I don't know. Obviously, Gus Malzahn is a really accomplished head coach. I think he's a good head coach. I just I'm so on board with going out and finding young and hungry, you know, a young, hungry coach that can relate to, to the kids. You know, go go and find the football team's version of Mike Boynton, who I think is an absolute rock star. Now, those guys are diamonds in the rough, and Mike Boynton was when they hired him. He was nobody that we had ever heard of. I was, in fact, I'll I'll be the first one to to tell you, I was negative about the hire when they made it, as a lot of people were. Um, I, I thought that they were just kind of settling for a cheap option because they paid coaches a lot of money. When in all actuality, the, the dude was young and hungry, and and really proved that, and is still proving it. So. I don't know how I would feel. Um, obviously, it would be exciting to have Malzahn in town, but I'm just so, you know, sometimes once you get your mindset on something, that's just where it stays. And I'm just so set on when the page does turn, turning it from old and out of touch to young and hungry and really in tune with, with these younger players. So um, I, I don't know. I would think I think I would have mixed emotions if they were to wind up with Gus Malzahn at some point down the road. Yeah, that's just a name that I think, you know, they could get and who's a good coach. And I think to your point about young and hungry, I think the first name that comes to my mind is a Marcus Arroyo yeah. who, who recruited Chuba Hubbard, obviously, and, and really just reinvigorated OSU's recruiting as a whole. Uh, I looked up UNLV's schedule, Colby. <laughs> they're winless. <laughs> so oh, I don't know if Arroyo is going to be on the short list. They're one, two, three, four, five. They're, they're 0 and 6 this I year. I think they were like a 20 or 30 point underdog to Hawaii on Saturday. Yeah, and so yeah, that's that's not good. And they got blown out. And I I thought maybe that you know Royo was still lighting it up recruiting wise. And I looked up UNLV's recruiting list, and uh, they're like 80th in the country. They have a bunch of three stars. But again, that's UNLV, not exactly a football powerhouse. But I, I do think you make a good point about young, hungry, uh, recruiting types like a Mike Boynton for football. But again, that's a long ways away. Uh, Mike Gundy's going to get to decide when he leaves town. So. We, we can speculate on that when the time comes. But uh, I mentioned Chuba Hubbard. He officially opted out before the Baylor game. No surprise. I mean, he had been banged up, and he finally he tweeted out a, a goodbye message and uh, just kind of a strange uh, ending to a, a really unbelievable football career at Oklahoma State. Obviously, he came to OSU, highly touted. He was known as a track guy, and I was always so impressed with how hard he ran early. That, that Bedlam game in 2018, he ran so hard between the tackles. Obviously, he was – Nation's leading rusher last year was robbed of the Doak Walker Award. Uh, and I just a great career, but just the weird offseason. You know, he, he and Tywin had that press conference saying they wanted to win a national championship. It didn't work out the way he wanted. But again, just a, a fantastic career from Chuba Hubbard in Stillwater. Yeah, I, I think that Chuba Hubbard, when healthy, was just an excellent runner. Just he was physical. He was fast. Uh, and then I think that he was a little banged up most of this year. I think early in the year, things were just kind of going wrong with the offensive line. And it, and it just didn't work this year on the level that it did a year ago. I still think the dude's an absolute stud. And uh, I think a big thing that he'll be remembered for at Oklahoma State is Chuba this offseason was part of this kind of movement that we saw where college athletes more and more are starting to realize that they do have a voice and that they do have a say, and that just because they're in college and they're not professionals yet, they do have a platform to impact change, to impact positive change. Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, some people hate Chuba for it. Some people love Chuba for it. I don't necessarily care where people stand on it. 
I just think that I am pro athlete. I'm pro athlete being able to use their platform to impact what they see is positive change. Uh, and for me, I think that that is part of what I will remember Chuba Hubbard for, uh, along with the fact that he's one of the best running backs to ever suit up at Oklahoma State. And the season that he had a year ago in 2019 was absolutely one for the ages. And I will always remember uh, watching him in that season a year ago and just how special it was and how much fun it was to watch. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, I remember last year through five, six games, I mean, he was on like Barry Sanders pace. Like he was just yeah. behind all the Barry Sanders numbers through the, you know, X amount of games midway through that year. And it was just a, a special, special season. What would, what would you have said, Colby, if I had told you before the season started that Shuba Hubbard this season would rush for 625 yards and five touchdowns and Des Jackson would run for 526 and four touchdowns. You, oh, you would man. assume that Chuba uh, had some devastating season-ending injury, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have I would have thought that Chuba and LD both would have had to suffer pretty severe injuries, and they weren't severe. They were just kind of nagging, and, you know, once you got to the end of the season and you're not playing for a conference championship anymore, the risk isn't worth the reward. Uh, you know, they, they said, he and Tylan said, that's why they wanted to come back. So once that went away, it made sense uh, for them to kind of hang the cleats up for the rest of the season and get ready for the NFL. But yeah, that's wild that his stat line was uh, just almost parallel to Desmond Jackson's. Yeah, 2020 strikes again. So, but we'll have to, I'll be cheering for Chuba when he goes to the NFL. I'm curious to see where he ends up and, and how he's utilized because he has a lot of skills both as, I mean, he's, he's immediately going to be a, elite kick returner I would think that's you know remember he that's what he started doing at OSU and uh, I think he could be a return man obviously and then obviously a third down back I think would really suit him at the NFL level so we'll have to wait and see where he ends up where Tylen ends up and all those guys when it comes to NFL draft time and again Chiefs yeah I mean draft all the Cowboys Chiefs Tylen and Chuba send everybody to the Chiefs that's where you'll have success go to Kansas City if they drafted like Tylen in like the the third and Chuba in the fourth like now I, I think the chiefs need to start drafting more defensive guys in the first two rounds because their offense is obviously just a machine, but no, I would love that. That would be fantastic. And I think in, in a few, couple of future podcasts, Colby, I think I want to go through, you know, the players and coaching staff and kind of give grades for the season, but uh, we'll obviously break down the combine once, once that time comes and, and kind of project where the best places for, for each players and stuff like that. So but now, uh, as this football season comes to an end, Colby, we are transitioning to Cade season. I know you were locked into the OSU-Wichita State game. I kind of caught the, the Cade game winner. I did not watch the entire game. Um, but Cade had a rough game. He played 35 minutes. He was 4 of 11, only had 10 points. But you saw some of the, the star power that he possesses, the hit the it factor he has, because there was no question in anyone's mind who was getting the ball and who was shooting it. And man, he delivered the the dagger, the game winner. That was a, that was awesome to see the way OSU won that game. Yeah, it was awesome. And you, you know the way the game played out, I pretty much watched the whole thing. I had it up on the computer, and I had the football game on the TV. So early in the game, Cade just clearly didn't have his shot. He just wasn't shooting it real well. I think he started 0506 from the floor, something like that. And he he just kind of took a back seat offensively, and he was letting. Isaac Likely go to work. Isaac Likely led the team in scoring with 14. He was letting Rondell Walker, who had another great game, go to work. He had 13 points, you know, for a true freshman. He's been unbelievable uh, early in the season. And I think Cade was doing more facilitating um, because that game winner that he hit, that was his first shot attempt of the second half. 
He was three for 10 from the floor in the first half. He was one of one from the floor in the second half. And it was that three pointer there at the end. I I think one thing that we saw uh, against Oral Roberts is he was nine of 10 from the free throw line. And on Saturday, he attempted exactly zero free throws against Wichita State. And I would imagine that that's going to be a point of emphasis for Cade and for Mike Boynton going forward. I thought in that first half, he was settling for a lot of, uh, you know, 15-footers, shot one out on the baseline off an inbounds, dribbled into one at the elbow. They weren't quite going. Uh, I think getting to the rim and shooting free throws is going to be more of a point of emphasis because I think that really helps Oklahoma State's offense. Uh, but I was impressed with him taking a back seat and then stepping up and hitting the big shot when it mattered. Um, looking down the line here, uh, Avery Anderson, I thought, played pretty well in his limited minutes. He, he played 10 minutes, but he had seven points in those 10 minutes. Uh, M.A. Moncrief, he had eight points in 16 minutes and played well. But I tell you what, again, I've been so, so impressed by Rondell Walker. He has just blown me away in the first six games of this season. And I'm really looking forward to conference play because conference play is going to be the real deal. TCU on Wednesday. uh, And then I think the next few in no particular order are like Texas, West Virginia and Texas Tech, um, which should be a great stretch of basketball. Yeah, no doubt. And gosh, I I think... (laughs) I know Walker played 27 minutes, the most of any bench player, but he needs to play 35 minutes, like likely, and Cade Cunningham did. I mean, I'm, I understand you like bringing him off the bench for that energy, but I think him and, and Bryce Williams, who had a rougher game this time, I think they've earned more playing time. So I wouldn't mind seeing Walker inserted into the, the starting lineup. And Mike Boynton did make a lineup change. Uh, and to your point, like likely was the only starter that shot a free throw the other four starters didn't attempt a free throw. So that, that speaks to your point about getting to the rim, but Boynton inserted Bernard Kuma into the starting lineup and he went over. He had zeros across his entire stat line, except for one turnover and three personal fouls, no points, no rebounds, no field goal attempts in 12 minutes. So that, that lineup change, maybe it helped their defense somewhat. I, I didn't watch it close enough to know that, but I didn't think the lineup changed just in terms of production really worked. He, he, he put uh, one of the Boone twins on the bench to start the game. So it, it's clear that, that Mike Boynton's still kind of working with his roster and, and what works, what lineups work together. But uh, I, I think Rondo Walker needs insert in the starting lineup. Yeah, I, I would like to see him there as well. And I, I kind of go back and forth because I understand you want that, that punch off the bench. Uh, you know, whenever Kate sits, you can bring Rondell in and, and you still have kind of that scoring punch there because it's clear that he is a scorer and that that's what he's there to do. Uh, one thing that I find interesting is that Donovan Williams doesn't look like he's going to have a big role as a freshman, which I, I find interesting. I think coming in, he was a four-star that I thought we were going to see more of. But, y- you know, it's just so crowded. It's so hard to get guys on the floor. Uh, I did think inserting Kuma into the starting lineup to help the defense to an extent, but I'll be curious if it stays that way. Uh, just considering the the limited production that he offers you on the other end. I will say I pulled up the schedule. So we've got TCU this Wednesday. After the TCU game at home in Gallagher-Iba, six of the next eight are against teams currently ranked in the top 15. You're at Texas, at Texas Tech, West Virginia at home. Those are your next three games after TCU. Then you get Kansas State. Then you get Kansas at home, OU at home, and then you're at West Virginia. You get Baylor at home. The Big 12 – is a gauntlet we are going to learn a ton about this basketball team between now and the end of january man that is a gauntlet i'm looking at the schedule now you're right that is it's about to get real serious real fast and i do think it helps they played a marquette and a wichita state both on the road that'll help that'll serve them really well come 
you know, big 12 time playing, you know, a much stiffer competition, certainly not inside uh, Gallagher Iba arena. So uh, my dad brought up this point and I don't know if it's true or if it's just, we've seen way too many games in Gallagher Iba. He brought up how well other teams shoot in Gallagher Iba. He was, we we're talking about that Oral Roberts game where Oral Roberts just catches fire. And I, there's something to it. I think there's something to Gallagher Iba's makeup in terms of, I think it reminds a lot of these kids of, of high schools where the, you know, the seats are so close to the, to the bucket. It just visually, I think it suits a lot of, a lot of teams that come in there. And I, I think it's probably just, I've watched too many games there. I've seen Tony Crocker go off in Bedlam, a guy who OU fans couldn't stand. Do you, is, is there something to that? How team other teams shoot so well inside Gallagher Iba, or are we just, we, we've seen too many OSU games. Man, I haven't really thought about it. I obviously don't have the analytics in front of me. I would lean to just seeing too many games in Gallagher Iba, <laughs> but I don't know. Now that you mention it, we've seen some really good shooting performances over the year in that gym by opponents. But that Georgetown I, I kid, Mac, Mac, Mac McClung last year, the Georgetown oh, kid just um, catches yeah, and he's fire. A player. You, you know he'll be at uh, he'll be at Gallagher Iba again this year. I know, playing for Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. we're, we're probably Tech, just so we're, we're I'm sure we just don't remember the games where teams bricked it a bunch because OSU won but uh that was just a right. random conversation my dad and I had so uh, I need to look by the way I need to look at the AP top 25 and see if uh see if Oklahoma State managed to make its way into that gosh you think so right I don't figure that they would have but they were close last year they were like 31 I think they are now though climbing the others receiving votes list one two three four they're fifth now down the list in terms of others receiving votes so if if they win two games this week against tcu and texas then they'll be there yeah and again i don't get too wrapped up in in rankings this this early um but you know texas tech they they struggled uh against abilene christian they've already lost to houston who's a good team obviously they're ranked in the top 17 so We'll find out a lot, and the, the rankings will sort themselves out here come, come Big 12 time. So without further ado, let's get to Bullets and BBs, Colby, where we give out our, our helmet stickers for positive and negative plays o- over the weekend. Uh, I'll start. I'll go Bullet. Obviously, this is a very easy one. I'll go with Dylan Stoner. I mean, the way he mossed that dude in the end zone and kind of just stared him down was, was awesome. And he, he did it in so many different ways. He had the crossing route. He had the, the Moss touchdown that I referenced. He just – he has a lot of tools, and I think we got to see them all against Baylor. And, again, just a great way for Dylan Stoner to end his season, which had to be frustrating for him. You know, as a receiver, to only end up with 282 yards in that game, as many routes as you run throughout the season, that had to have been frustrating. And you never – he never showed it. He never, you know, tweeted anything silly like some players in college football will do. So, he's been a great team player, and it was good to see him have a, a career day. Yeah, it was. That's a good one. Um, I, I love that. I'm going to give it to Dominic Richardson comes out as a true freshman, uh, puts up 169 yards, three touchdowns, really had a phenomenal day. Did put it on the ground once. They got it back. Um, so not not a big deal, hopefully. Uh, we have seen him now, though, in the couple games that he's got action, put it on the ground in each one. So hopefully that doesn't turn into a problem. Don't think it will. No reason to think it will uh, unless it does next season. But I got to give it to the young guy, Dominic Richardson. Yep. Those are two easy ones. Obviously those were the two, they combined for six touchdowns. And again, I'm, I'm excited about Richardson's potential. He, he showed me a lot in that game. Uh, my BB, 
ESPN broadcast showed a Baylor fan in the stands rocking the jersey, no mask, backwards hat, and receiver's gloves. And I said, I tweeted, you know, look, dude, I know Baylor's got 47 people out, but they're not putting you in at receiver. Like, it's funny when, like, you go to a baseball game and there's, like, the the 40-year-old guy with his glove trying to catch a, a home run. Like, if you're a certain age, you, you don't bring your glove to the game. And him rocking the receiver's gloves was hilarious. And apparently some – a Baylor account – like added the guy on my tweet, like tweeted him. This is, this is how small the world of Twitter is. And he responded like, well, we had one five of six and they're still talking smack. Okay. And I, I clicked on his, I clicked on his Twitter account because I had to learn more. Oh and, man. And his pinned tweet is a shot of him at a Baylor basketball game, wearing a Baylor basketball Jersey and a shooting sleeve. He rocks the receiver gloves at football games and the shooting sleeve at basketball games. And again, this guy's like in his late thirties, probably maybe early forties. I don't know, but I got to give him a BB because I mean, I, I look, I'm all for supporting your team, but like, you don't need like the, the on field accessories when you're sitting in the stands. That's my BB. Yeah. I, uh, you stole my uni Heisman with your BB. That guy was going to be my uni Heisman. Oh, okay. That's all right. You can say yeah, that it looked one. great in the stands. Uh, no, there's a very clear uni Heisman and we'll get to that for my BB. I just, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I'm not going to dwell on it for five minutes or anything. I, I'm just going to give a BB to the coaching staff now that the season is over. I, I really feel like I really feel like the coaching staff took nine win talent and turned it into a seven win season. So again, not going to dwell on it. We've talked a ton about it, but I, I just think that I have to send my BB that direction. Yeah, I know. And, and for people who are like, well, they want, if they win their bowl game, they'll have eight wins. That's a solid year. No, this has been a disappointing year. And I think the Baylor game and, and the Texas first half, most, most of the Texas game, I think it just showed you just, I didn't think the coaching staff put the talent they had in the best positions this season. In fact, I put them in a lot of positions to, to not succeed, especially that OU game. They just, they didn't even give their, their team a chance with their, their game plan in that game. And, and certainly others like TCU, so no, I'm, I think that's a good one as well. So we'll have to see what they do next year and hopefully come out with better game plans for Spencer Sanders or maybe even Shane Ellingworth if he's the quarterback. So let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Man, Colby, they, they brought busted out a new combination we had not seen. It obviously was the orange, white, orange, which we don't see very often. And it was the cursive Cowboys helmet with the stripe. I thought it looked great. They, they kind of looked like the Cleveland Browns with the, the orange, white, orange. But I thought the helmet was outstanding. My dad actually likes the orange cursive Cowboys helmet better than the white. I think I kind of like the white, but I thought it was a great look. And uh, what you would you make of it? Yeah, I like the white helmet better. I'm with you, but I, I did think that they looked sharp on Saturday. I actually liked it a lot better until you compared it to the Cleveland Browns, uh, just because <laughs> I'm not a Browns guy. But, um, yeah, I thought that they looked good. And, uh, I mean, are we going Uni Heisman next? Because somebody really stood out. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Tay Martin. Tay Martin is built to wear that uniform. I mean, built to wear it. So, to, to me, and we even got a tweet about it on Saturday, he made some of those catches in the first half and popped up. And I, I thought the jersey was about to rip uh, where it comes over the shoulders. So, got to go to Tay Martin. <laughs> yeah, shout out to uh, Marshall Scott uh, for Pistols Fire. He, he tweeted us that, you know, it's Tay Martin. There's no debate of the uniform oh, yeah, Heisman. Oh, yeah, it was. Shout out, Marshall. 
And I don't know how much, you know, carte blanche the players get on uniforms because Tay Martin was rocking the old school, like homecoming socks they would wear for like the throwback games with homecoming where they're white and they have like the, basically like the helmet stripe, the black with the orange in the middle stripes on them. He was rocking those pulled up high. That's just a nice little accessory. Uh, obviously he's rocking a single digit. Just Tay Martin looks the part. You just, you didn't get to see him a whole lot. Again, he had like 600 yards last year at Washington state and was, uh, not much of a factor this year, but man, he can, he can rock the uni. I think the Marshall nailed it with that on the uh, uniform Heisman. So, all right, Colby, one interesting thing. You got one before we get out of here? Oh, I've got a juicy one. Just saw this come across uh, 10 minutes ago on Twitter. Art Bryles has resigned after two years as AD and head football coach at Mount Vernon. Bryles led the program to the class 3A Division I semifinals uh before losing there he's resigned now Karsten he is a free agent uh somebody's gonna do it we, we see it time and time again where winning is just the most important thing we've seen teams try to do it at a multiple different places and have been shouted down from the mountaintops uh by those of us who remember what Art Bryles allowed to take place at Baylor when he was the head coach there. I am of the opinion that he does not deserve to be a football coach at any level anymore, but I've got a feeling that come September 1 of next year, we're going to see Art Bryles on the sideline uh, for some, some program somewhere. Well, I tweeted this about a week ago and people thought I was crazy. And I, I had heard that some Texas Tech boosters Ooh. on Art Bryles. I think Texas Tech people are tired of watching horrible football since they got rid of Mike Leach. And obviously, Bryles is a Tech alum. He coached there. I think it's going to take a program like a Texas Tech who's just desperate for success to overlook, you know, Bryles' transgressions. Obviously, I think there was a report after I tweeted that a week ago that Tech hired some lawyer to look into his transgressions to try to absolve him. I didn't read the whole story, but... I think there's serious momentum for Texas Tech to try to go get Art Bryles. Now, Kirby Hocutt is a very well-respected athletic director at Texas Tech. He's done, he's, he's done a really good job to try to get them back on the right foot. But I don't know if he can make that. I don't know if Kirby Hocutt's going to make that hire. But I do think there's a lot of support for it in Lubbock, which I think would be horrific if they hired him. But I, I don't know. We, we might be seeing him coach at Texas Tech this time next year. Oh man, that, uh, I hope not. I hope not. I just, uh, again, I think he's lost his privilege to be a coach. Um, I, I think whenever it, we don't need to get into the whole, everything that went on at Baylor, it, it was pretty disgusting. Uh, the culture that he fostered down there in Waco, but I, I don't know. Don't want to see it happen at Texas tech. It'd be really weird to have him back in the big 12. And then it'd be something that we were having to talk about, you know, week in, week out all year. And I mean, obviously the, the guy can coach, but that's not what it's about. That's just not what it's about. So we'll see. Yep, I'm with you. And Bryles is 65 years old. Like I, right. he's also, he's not a spring chicken. So like, I, I think his, his time is coming past, but I think tech's getting desperate and maybe they'll do something out of desperation. Uh, my one interesting thing is kind of the bowl projections for OSU. They got a 45%. This is from uh, Scott Wright of the Oklahoman. He projects 45% chance going to the Texas bowl, uh, December 31st in Houston potential SEC opponents uh, between Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi State. 30% chance of the Liberty Bowl, uh, again, would be 
uh, th that kind of similar, similar group of SEC teams. The Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando against the ACC, just a 20% chance. And uh, Alamo is like a 3% chance. So that's probably not happening. So again, it's been the Texas or Liberty the last two years. It looks like that's where they're going to be going again, Colby. If they play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, that fun, exciting. Let's do yeah. it. Not so much, but it's exactly what we had in mind whenever we embarked on this 2020 season. Yeah, that's again. So if you're sitting there going, well, they win eight, they win eight games at a bowl game. I just it doesn't, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. So a lot of big questions uh, going into next year for Oklahoma State. It's been fun having you on Colby to talk football season. It's uh, it's Cade season, but we're going to obviously talk more OSU hoops coming up. But we're also kind of going to dive into kind of how the season unfolded, give out some grades maybe for the for the players and, and coaches, and we'll talk plenty of football as well, but we're kind of transitioning to basketball season and Cade season. It's going to be a lot of fun, Colby. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Absolutely. Cade season's in full effect. Go Pokes.